Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, everyone, and welcome to DevRaga Personal Finance, episode 86. And in this episode, we will go into more detail um, as part of the you know blockchain episode series um, about Bitcoin as a specific cryptocurrency. Um, I've really been trying to avoid speaking about Bitcoin because um, it, it turns out to be a bit controversial. There are believers, there are non-believers, um, but I thought it'd be worthwhile to go into it. Um, and certainly I've learned a lot about blockchain and cryptocurrency in the past couple of weeks, um, trying to learn about these topics. Now, Bitcoin is the most popular cryptocurrency on the market. It accounts for about 68 to 70% of all the cryptocurrencies on the market. And there's actually quite a number of them. So for those of you, though, that are new to the channel, before we go on to the main topic, remember there are three aims of this channel. The first one is to educate. The second one is to be empowered with knowledge about personal finance and investing. And lastly, um, to be entertained with the podcast. Now, just a bit of a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not an accountant, I'm not a financial planner, nor am I a lawyer. Make sure you take any financial decisions you want to make after listening to my podcast, take it to the appropriate advisors and make sure it's appropriate for yourself. Now, if you're stuck on what to do in general, in terms of principles, here are some simple steps to get you in the right track when it comes to saving, investing and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is to pay yourself first. Make sure you take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside. That is your money hard-earned. Step two is to invest that money, ideally into something that you understand or want to understand. For me, I invest in the stock market and index funds because I understand the stock market and index funds. Step three, always reinvest dividends. When you invest into something, you're going to have an income as a result of that investment. Make sure you don't squander that income, don't touch it, always reinvest into other investments or the same investment. It doesn't matter. But the key is to reinvest your dividends. The power of compounding is exceptional. Step four, do it for the long term. Now, people talk about long term as five, seven, 10, 15 years. I'm talking at least 20 years, 30 years, if not 40 years plus. And step five, make sure that you automate the process so you don't have to manually take out that 20%. You don't have to manually invest it into your particular stock market portfolio. You don't have to manually reinvest the dividends. All of these can be automated or at least partially. And the more automation you have, the more likely you won't forget to invest, the more likely you'll stick to your investing budget, and the more likely you'll just pay yourself first. Now, if you did these simple five steps, you'll have more money than you probably ever will need. And remember, money is just a tool. It doesn't bring happiness. It doesn't bring joy. It just helps you to make your life a little bit better. But most importantly, 
to help the people around you make their lives that much better. Now to the main topic about Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency. Now, Bitcoin is just one of the many different options when it comes to cryptocurrency. So there's Litecoin, Ethereum, etc. So it's a form of digital currency, like all cryptocurrencies, and it was actually created after the GFC um, in 2009. No one really knows who created it, but the theory is that it was created by a group of people, not just one person. And the group of people are altogether named as Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, initially, when I read about this, I thought this was just one person, but we don't really know, but it's likely it's just multiple people, a group of people. As we discussed in the previous episode, cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin is based on a technology called blockchain technology, whereby the currency is monitored and is operated by a decentralized mechanism. This is vastly different to current mainstream currencies like the Australian dollar, for example, which is controlled printed and monitored by the federal government. This means Bitcoin doesn't physically exist and is entirely digital. And the balances of Bitcoins are maintained in a distributed public ledger. And this is constantly verified by all the computers that monitor the network. So the nodes of computers that do it. This takes a huge amount of computing power. And the important thing is Bitcoin is not technically legal tender and is not regulated. And Bitcoin is just one form of cryptocurrency, but it is the most well-known form of cryptocurrency. So the take-home message so far is Bitcoin is an unregulated digital currency, which is monitored by a distributed network of computers using digital ledgers. And it's not the same as fiat currency, which is basically government-issued currency, which is not backed by any physical commodities, like what it used to happen back in the days when it was backed by gold. Now let's briefly revise blockchain technology to better understand Bitcoin. A blockchain is literally a collection of blocks joined by chains, where the chains is the database and the blocks contain digital information. The blocks have digital transactional information within them and sometimes hundreds if not thousands of transactional information are stored within one block. The information contained within the block and the chains is distributed to all the computers which form part of the Bitcoin network. This is called the collection of nodes. So all the computers have a copy of the blockchain and can see the same list of blocks and chains and this happens live and it happens 24-7. Each of the blocks have special encryptions and the balances of Bitcoins are kept using private and public keys and digital wallets. Think about it like a bank account number, where the public key is the bank account number and the PIN number to your actual savings account card is the private key. When nodes or computers solve complex problems, they get rewarded by Bitcoin. This is called mining, and this allows them to add new information to the blockchain, which then is sent out to the entire nodal computers. So every computer as part of the nodal chain has the exact same blockchain code. There are a finite number of Bitcoins in the world, uh, which haven't all been mined. And I think at the moment when it was first created, they created for 21 million Bitcoins available. Um, and I think about um, 13 or 14 million have already been mined. Um, I, I could be wrong. You might have to Google that. But um, I think more than 50% of Bitcoins have actually been mined. So how do Bitcoins get released into the circulation of digital Bitcoin currency? 
Well, they're mined, as we talked about. Bitcoins are mined, so that you have to kind of find them. Um, and this is when computers solve complex puzzles in order to discover a new block, which is then added to the blockchain. This process is then verified by the distributed computer system. So it's kind of like a little gateway system in order to verify the information that you've mined is actually correct. As a reward for adding blocks to the blockchain, the miner is rewarded in the form of new bitcoins. The reward is halved every 210,000 bitcoins, oh sorry, every 210,000 blocks that are added. For example, in 2009, when a block of information was added, the reward was about 50 bitcoins. Currently, you only get about 6.25 bitcoins per block information added. And this will get smaller and smaller as more and more blocks are added. And this just prolongs the time until a 21 million bitcoins, or all of them, are discovered. To mine bitcoins, you need special computers called Application Specific Integrated Circuits, or ASIC. Um, and advanced processing units called graphic processing units or GPU. And this is vastly different to when Bitcoin was first introduced when you can just use your laptop to mine for coins. You can't do that anymore. It's becoming more and more complex. And I think it's like one in 15 trillion. That's your chance of actually solving a particular puzzle in order to be able to add a block of information to the blockchain. So it's not easy. And of course, you can have hundreds and if not thousands of such computers all linked together. And they're called mining rigs. Um, and they use immense amount of energy, which, of course, you need to pay for. So, you know, if you want to get a bit of a grasp about how it actually looks like, Google mining rigs, uh, and you'll see how big some of these centers are that are persistently mining for Bitcoin. So it's not as if that you can just open your laptop and just add a block of information. That is, you know, not possible in today's world, but certainly was possible when it was first introduced. So why and how and when did Bitcoin actually begin um, to exist? Well, no one really knows who invented Bitcoin, and they think it's a group of people. And again, that group of people they've named as Satoshi Nakamoto. And it was likely invented due to the actual global financial crisis and the banking fraud which happened at that time. Now, remember, GFC1 was basically, you know, banks, you know, uh, you know, inventing loans for people and giving out loans for people that just couldn't afford to pay those loans, particularly um, mortgages. Um, and they created all sorts of, you know, mortgage-backed securities and collateralized debt obligation, all sorts of fancy new financial products and started selling it to investors. But of course, when the mortgages that were being sold to people that couldn't afford them, um, when the, you know, when the people couldn't pay the mortgage, guess what happened? They had to sell the house. But of course, when thousands and hundreds of thousands of people start selling homes, you have more supply and less demand. And of course, when that happens, when the investors who bought those mortgages that have been packaged up as collateralized debt obligations or, you know, CDOs or whatever it is, the investors kind of wanted to get rid of them really quickly. And of course, everyone gotten onto it and saying, well, hang on, you're investing uh, in toxic assets and now you want to get rid of it to me. And of course, no one bought those investments. And that's how the whole banking chain kind of collapsed. So I suspect the Bitcoin kind of came around because basically the regulated currency markets and money as we particularly know it was basically used and abused um, in the early 21st century. So I suspect in response to that, um, Bitcoin was created. And, and it was probably you know, in the process for a number of years prior to it being released into public circulation. And in 2009, the first block was actually mined. And the interesting thing is, 
Bitcoin wasn't the first blockchain technology in terms of currency, nor was it the first cryptocurrency at all. It was more popular, that's all. So in the 90s, there was Hashcash, and uh, there was B-Money, there was Bitgold, and there's reusable proof-of-work. All these concepts existed prior to the official launch of Bitcoin. So it's not as if um, Bitcoin was the first to come to the market, but there certainly was the most popular. And I think they came at the market at the right time because everyone had distrust in the financial uh, industry at the time when the whole world literally was, um, you know, hemorrhaging money. Various people were involved in these cryptocurrencies, and there is some suspicion they may have been involved in the creation of Bitcoin itself. So the people that were involved in the other coins or other types of cryptocurrencies back in the 90s, there's some suggestion that they're probably also involved in the creation of Bitcoin. Um, and I guess the main reason why we don't know exactly who created Bitcoin um, is, you know, the main reason why it's all anonymous is because of its future power, when you think about it, to disrupt the financial sector, at least that's what they say, and thereby prevent government interference in this process. And let's face it, right? If governments know who created these coins or cryptocurrency, they will likely go after them and try and regulate it as much as possible. And the biggest thing about cryptocurrency is it's unregulated, it's behind the scenes, and the government can't get their hands on it. Well, at least some governments. I think in New York State, they've sort of um, you know, publicized that any block of information added must be public. But anyway... So essentially, Bitcoin bypasses, in general, major government's main currency called fiat currency system. And I think that's probably why they've kept it as anonymous as they possibly can. And of course, the other main reason is um, the first year, 32,000 blocks were added, which equated to about 1.6 million coins mined, which in today's value is actually worth $42 billion in Australian currency. So clearly, a target for criminals, these people... Um, that own billions and billions of dollars of Bitcoin, and clearly gangs, um, they're there to fleece these people of their digital currency. So they're extremely vulnerable to hacking. So I suspect as part of all that sort of you know, potential risk, they've tried to keep this as anonymous as possible. Now, can you earn Bitcoin for doing some work? Yes, you can. You can actually get paid for doing work using Bitcoins. And there's plenty of sites which foster work for Bitcoins. For example, Coinality, which features jobs, freelancing, part-time, full-time gigs that offer to pay with Bitcoins rather than having to pay with, you know, your usual mode of currency, which is Australian dollar or US dollar, etc. And I guess the question is, is Bitcoin a good investment? Um, that's probably a, you know, $100 million question. Um, well, first of all, I don't invest in Bitcoin. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I mean, even though I've done a bit of research about cryptocurrency and blockchain technology, I don't, you know, I have to say, I don't 100% understand it still. Um, it is a quite a complex system, and it took me a long time to understand even the basics. Uh, but there are many that believe that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as a whole are good investments. And I'm sure a lot of listeners to this podcast channel invest or buy Bitcoin and store them. And the main reasons being is that it's disruptive and can facilitate financial transactions at a much lower fee rate than the current system that we engage in. And imagine if we didn't need banks, then imagine how much fees we would actually save. Now, it was mainly in 2011 onwards when Bitcoin really caught on to people and people started to think about it as an investment. So a lot of people bought, bought and hold 
Bitcoin is an investment medium rather than a mode of currency to pay for items, and it still can't be used on a widespread scale around the world. So the advantage is it's unregulated, which means governments could easily regulate it. Um, this is a risk to Bitcoin investment. Um, but I guess legislative or regulatory risk in general, in terms of investing and finance, is always going to be a concern for any investing type. Uh, you know, just look at superannuation in Australia, where the government capped the tax-free earnings on assets up to $1.6 million, and that happened in the last 10 years. So you're always going to have legislative risk. Um, but the advantage of Bitcoin is that it's less risky than other types of investments when it comes to legislative risk. At the moment, most countries have sort of turned a blind eye to it, but I suspect if it becomes more and more popular, I think governments will take, um, you know, regulatory action uh, for Bitcoin and sort of, you know, bring it into line. I just don't see it being a completely unregulated currency to be freely used and abused um, in the future if it becomes popular. At the moment, it's not popular. So therefore, I think governments are kind of turning a blind eye to it. So how do you buy Bitcoin? You can buy it on Bitcoin exchanges. Um, there are plenty of them and you can do it online. Um, it's kind of like the share market for Bitcoins. But of course, when you buy shares, you're buying a piece of a business. You're buying a piece of a company that's actually producing value, goods and services. When you buy Bitcoin, you're not purchasing, purchasing any portion of any business. You're just buying another form of currency. So I guess the analogy is just buying and holding US dollar, um, exchanging AUD for USD and just storing it under your mattress. It's not something that no one would ever recommend to do because storing cash is just poor investment. Um, but that's kind of the analogy that I would use for buying Bitcoin because it's just another form of currency, except it's complex and it's, you know, I guess, popular to some extent to some people and it's entirely digital. Um, now, with online exchanges, of course, the, one of the problems, um, and this has happened for Bitcoin, is that uh, you're very vulnerable to hacking and spyware and malware because, after all, it's a computer system. So um, I guess you can store Bitcoin in digital wallets, but it's always a risk that you might get hacked. Um, and of course, technically, if a hacker hacks into your Bitcoin account, they can transfer the Bitcoins to their wallet, uh, which is an online sort of you know, system of storing data and, 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 and storing Bitcoins. And of course, that means the Bitcoin is gone. So, you know, you've got to be careful about how you buy it, where you store it, etc., etc. And there are reputable people that do it, I assume. I don't do it myself. In fact, this has happened uh, before where hackers have stolen millions and millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin in 2014 in Japan. So if you lose the Bitcoin, that's the other thing. There is no insurance. There's no recourse if you lose um, Bitcoins due to hacking. So it's a bit different to people stealing money from your credit card, which is backed by credit card fraud insurance. It's also very different to people stealing money or if a bank goes bust and you lose all your money in your savings account, um, you've got a federal deposit insurance scheme of up to a quarter of a million dollars for your losses. Nothing like this exists for Bitcoin. So it is invest and buy at your own risk. Now, are Bitcoins volatile? Absolutely. Um, thousands of dollars um, in, 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 in price up and down every single day. Last time I checked about a week ago was about 13,000 per Bitcoin. It peaked at about 20,000 back in 2017, I think, from memory. Um, so prices of Bitcoin fluctuates very widely. Um, the irony is that you need to use fiat currency to actually buy Bitcoin, which is a bit funny. So it's a form of currency trading in its loosest sense of form. 
Um, and Bitcoin's value comes from people accepting it as currency. So if one day fewer and fewer people accept it as currency, then it's likely to have no value at all. So I guess, you know, to give you an example, if I went into Coles um, with a $100 note, I know that it'll be accepted for exchange of up to $100 worth of goods. That's guaranteed. I can't say the same about Bitcoin for most businesses in Australia. So if you have Bitcoin and it's worth this much money, it's only worth money because if people accept it and use it as a currency in general. And that's what's so puzzling about the whole thing is that um, investing in something that may rise in value over time, um, that's speculation. That is not investment. That's in my humble view. So my final thoughts on Bitcoin, well, I don't buy or invest in Bitcoin, just like I don't buy or invest in gold or rare basketball cards or vintage cards or rare paintings. Why? Because I don't know enough about these investments. Um, and as a general rule, they don't really contribute to society very much. I only invest in things that I fully understand and I invest in things that contribute to society. My feeling about investing um, in Bitcoin or more investing in general, is when I buy something, it has to provide a return to me in terms of, one, capital appreciation, but also in terms of income and possibly do something for society. And businesses in general that provide goods and services uh, do that in general. So if I bought a share or a business, it produces income, it sells products, or if it's a farm, it produces crops, which is then sold. Bitcoin wouldn't do that for me. And that's one of the reasons, the key reasons why I don't buy or own any Bitcoin. So in a sense, Bitcoin is a form of speculation. It might be a good form of speculation, and I have no doubt some people think it is, but it's not investing. And no matter whichever way I look at it, and I've looked at it, you know, I guess as detailed as I possibly can, Bitcoin is not investing just like me buying US dollar and storing it under the mattress is not investing. Which brings me to the last topic of today's podcast, and that is the greater fool theory. And this sort of goes into the previous sort of thoughts of mine, that is Bitcoin is speculation and not investing. The greater fool theory basically states you can always sell something which you bought at exorbitant prices because you can sell them at a later date. That is, you might be able to find someone else to buy it off you. And the reason why the theory exists is because there will always be someone, a bigger or greater fool, who is willing to pay a higher price. Now, the thing is, this theory assumes you are also, to some extent, a greater fool, but hopefully you will find another one in the future that is even more greater. Um, and that sort of plays into my opinion about things like Bitcoin and gold, is that when you buy something, if it doesn't produce any value to society, doesn't produce any income then essentially in five, 10 years time, you really need to find someone who thinks what you've bought is good and therefore they will pay a greater price for it. Um, so I guess if you use Bitcoin as an example of a greater full theory, Bitcoin is basically lines of code. It doesn't have any intrinsic value. That is, there is no qualitative or quantitative analysis which can be done to come with its true asset value which makes Bitcoin so special compared to other cryptocurrencies. So what, what makes it so special? It's just the most popular. Um, so it still doesn't do anything for society. So that's point number one. Um, point number two is it just consumes so much energy to actually mine Bitcoin. So it's actually very costly to actually mine it. 
Um, so then you've got to find someone else later on who's going to be willing to pay a greater price for it based on what you paid for it. So, um, you know, I guess there's a bit of anchoring bias there because you'll be anchoring your selling point with your reference point of buying point. Um, but I think apart from that, I, I think Bitcoin itself is, you know, it's not a bad thing, but I think the greater thing about this is that the blockchain technology itself, itself is, I think, very valuable. I think it has some very good value. It has some good applications uh, because the applications are huge. And, and we just did discuss that in the previous episode. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, go back and listen to it because we talk about blockchain technology as a, um, as a technological solution to a lot of the financial and data problems that we may be having in today's world. Now, nonetheless, despite not having any intrinsic value, surprisingly, the price of Bitcoin, like I said, zoomed to 20,000 US dollars um, and I guess this was largely because traders capitalized on the greater fool theory. Um, a smart trader would have bought at a low price and sold to a greater fool. So um, again, nothing against you know buying uh, and holding Bitcoin except the fact that I don't do it because I just don't see any value in doing it. And hopefully I'm right, um, but, um, uh, but who knows? Um, I'm sure a lot of people own and have profited immensely from Bitcoin and that's completely fine. It's a bit like buying individual stocks, which I don't do either. That's about it for this episode. Thank you very much for the questions, likes and comments. Um, remember to like the Devraga Facebook page um, about personal finance and shout out to all the questions and comments and topic suggestions. Remember to share this channel with family and friends. Um, they can access the channel via Anchor app. Um, or castbox.fm app, Spotify, Google Podcasts, player.fm, or directly via devraga.com. And remember, always pay yourself first. Uh, make sure you take that 20% of after-tax income and put it aside. Um, so make sure that um, you learn about Bitcoin. I think there's nothing wrong with learning about blockchain technology, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrencies. Even if you don't want to invest in them, I think it's knowledge is power. I think it's important to learn what it is. Now, until next time, please, this is Devraka Personal Finance, um, episode 86. And please, please, please stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 